Sabbath. And is there a commandment in the Bible to keep the Sabbath holy? So why didn't we meet yesterday? Why are we here today? Hang on. Don't answer yet. (laughs) That's just to prime the pump a little bit. I'm going to give you a chance to answer. But let's talk about the Sabbath a little bit because that's what the text does. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. I'd like you to be thinking If the Sabbath is mandated and is so important, and it is, why don't we observe it? So give some thought to it as we enter into the text, and then we'll develop this theme. The text is Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at the first 11 verses today. has to do with the Sabbath and the Lord's perspective on it. Luke 6 verse 1, Now it happened that he, the Lord, was passing through some grain fields, probably in Galilee, in the north, on a Sabbath. So you see, we know the scenario. The Lord and those with him are passing through some grain fields. It specifically says on the Sabbath. Of the Ten Commandments, do you which, do you know which number talks about the Sabbath? We think That's right, brother. It's commandment number four, fourth commandment. Let me read it to you. It's in Exodus chapter 20, as are the other commandments. Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Listen, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord our God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the Sabbath is quite a gift given by God, in this case to the Israelites. In giving the Sabbath, it's as if the Lord is saying, uh, you have permission to rest. What a message given to a slave people. They were in bondage for 430 years. Their cruel taskmaster did not give them a day off. Their new master, the one who delivered them from bondage, does. The Sabbath says you can cease working from your labors. Everyone, everything, take a break. This was quite a marvelous message for a slave people. If they violated the Sabbath, they would be violating the law of God. But more than that, they would be violating the kindness of God. It's out of his kindness that he gave the Sabbath. He never meant it to be a burden. He meant it to be a blessing. Okay, with that as the background, if the Sabbath is such a benefit If it's such a blessing, why are we here today? Why did we not gather together yesterday? Now it's your time. What do you think? All right. I was hoping that would be the case. Now we we just go home. Okay, Mary, we'll start with you and then brother in the back. Go ahead, Mary. (laughs) Mary, you didn't have to tell us you're Baptist. We know you are. Look how far back you're sitting. You got the back. Okay, that's a good one. Yes, sir. Because you're not Jewish, that's enough. 
is really great. I didn't anticipate these answers, but they're really good. They're fun. Yes, ma'am. Wow. Listen to the answer. For uh, Tell me if I got this right. For Jesus rose on the first day of the week. Uh, the Sabbath is the seventh day. And so you're attaching quite a lot to the resurrection of the Lord. Do you think our sister is on good footing in so doing? She is. Listen, the Lord's followers in the first century were predominantly Jewish. They knew of the Sabbath. They valued it. What would it have taken to get them to move their corporate gathering day from Sabbath day to Lord's day? It would take something quite as dramatic like an empty tomb and a risen Savior who appeared to them after death. Yeah, almost a fire. They would not. That's exactly right. The Sabbath, they knew of this fourth commandment. It was a special gift given and was quite holy. And so for them to move from Sabbath day to Lord's day would have taken the resurrection. And in fact, they did. So as you read the New Testament, you will see the gathering day of those first century churches, Christian churches, was on Sunday, not Saturday. Charlie? Yeah. Yes, in fact, when we say the Lord's Day, it's that day that most is most distinguished by what the Lord uniquely did, and that is he won victory over death, didn't he? Resurrection Day. So yes, every Sunday we could say is Resurrection Sunday for sure. Okay, so, so here's, here's what happened. You're going to run into people from time to time who ask you about this. They're going to say to you, why don't you obey the fourth commandment? You... You Baptist people, Mary, why don't you obey the fourth command? Why don't you keep the Sabbath? You might have Seventh-day Adventist friends. You might be one as you sit here today, in which case, thank you for coming today. You might work with uh, Seventh-day Adventists or someone, quite wonderful people, generally speaking, who would who would um, have a question of you. Why are you gathered together on Sunday? And say, yes, sir. My grandmother was a Seventh-day Ah, well said. There is such a group. Uh, our brother saying his, did you say grandmother? Was a Seventh-day Baptist. And, and there is this group. Yes, indeed. Looking to, wanting to honor the fourth commandment, finding no reason not to, that would be their gathering day. So it's not just Seventh-day Adventists or others. And so you may be asked, I hope by the time we finish you'll have kind of a response. This is what happened. Uh, the Lord did his marvelous work of physical creation in six days and then rested. And then the Lord did his marvelous work of spiritual redemption through the death, burial, and resurrection of his own son. And now we can rest. The Sabbath of the Old Testament, as is everything in the Old Testament, is a foreshadowing of ultimate fulfillment in the new. Therefore, if you have entered into relationship 
with the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord Jesus. You are observing the Sabbath, rest. Sabbath or Shabbat means rest. It's a day on which God rested from his physical labor, but that's just a foreshadowing of ultimate rest which he's provided for us. Hence Paul, himself a Jew, a rabbi in fact, could say what he did. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, he said, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Why not? These are things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance is Christ. Remember we spoke about this concept called progressive revelation, meaning God's revelation is given to us in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, but it begins in Genesis and progresses until you get to Revelation. You don't want to go backward. You want to progress. So what you have in the Old Testament are concepts like the temple, a building in a place. But when you get to the New Testament, you find out you are the temple, that God's Spirit dwells in you. Can you see how things are moving? In the Old Testament, you read about a sacrificial system in which unblemished animals, lambs, are offered on the altar. But when you get to the New Testament, you find out Jesus is the Lamb of God. All these things point to greater truths. So here's the deal. If you are someone who has ceased from your efforts to win God's favor through your own merits, if you are someone who has ceased to try to earn your own salvation, if you are someone who's resting in the finished work of Christ on the cross for your sin, you are observing the Sabbath. That's why it says in the book of Hebrews, whoever wrote it, we don't know for sure. In the book of Hebrews, it says, labor, work hard to enter into Sabbath rest. Isn't that an ironic expression to work hard at resting? Human nature is such that we're bent on working hard to raise ourselves up to God. God said, I already stooped low and came down to you. Work at embracing it. So if you have ceased from your own efforts to win your salvation, if you are resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus, which is indicated by his victory over sin, which is uh, manifested by his resurrection from death, the last enemy, if you're resting in all that he's done, you are observing the Sabbath. It's not a day. It's a relationship with a Savior, you see. It's a big, 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 big difference. I get this all the time as a Jewish person. Why don't I observe the Sabbath and so on? I said, I do. You know, on the Sabbath, all work was prohibited, and so too there's no room for faith plus works as a formula for obtaining your salvation. The Reformers used to say it's by grace alone through our faith alone, in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus alone. It's not faith plus anything else. It's faith placed in what the Lord Jesus has done for the sufficient purchase price for our salvation. When you understand that, you are observing the Sabbath. You get up every day and you say, Oh God, thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for casting all my sins behind your back. 
Thank you for the excruciating price you paid for me. Oh, God, I wouldn't dare think it's insufficient and I have to add to it in any way. I just need to rejoice in it, rest in it. So today I live as a saved, redeemed one, intent on bringing glory to your name. I'm not unsettled about my relationship with you. I'm not trying to secure or obtain or earn my salvation. I want to live in accordance thereof. You've obtained it for me. I want to work hard, in other words, at entering into Sabbath rest. There is Sabbath rest when you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you sit? So it's not a day. Now, in the Lord's day and for centuries before, since the fourth commandment was given, Jewish religious leaders in a very legitimate and serious attempt to protect the sanctity of the day came up with lots of rules and regulations to protect its holiness. They called it a hedge. They built a hedge around the Sabbath so that Jews at in any place and at any time would not get too close to violating the Sabbath. So they came up with all kinds of bounds around the Sabbath day that would keep you from from crossing over and violating the Sabbath. For instance, centuries after all this, as a young Jewish kid growing up in New York, if we were going to shul, or the synagogue we call it, on Shabbat, Saturday, we could not drive there because the day, the Sabbath day was to be a day of the cessation of all work. And the rabbis have come up with 39 categories of what they call work, 39. And under each category, there are sub-points. And the rabbis spend most of their time adding to them, interpreting and applying them. They do not pour over the word of God. They pour over their own written conclusions about how to absorb the Sabbath. By the way, that's what religion does. Religion gives a quick glance at Scripture and gazes upon its own man-made traditions. It should be the other way around. You gaze upon Scripture. Give a quick glance to human tradition. It should be the other way. Anyway, so the rabbis have categories of work, one of which is riding in a car. We couldn't do it. I grew up in New York. It gets cold there. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the weather is. Rain, sleet, snow. You're walking to synagogue. A lot of Orthodox Jews in moving from place to place would make sure to purchase a house or rent an apartment close enough to the synagogue so they wouldn't have to walk too far. You couldn't carry keys in your pocket on the Sabbath. You, uh, you could not use a pair of scissors. You could not do any writing. You cannot engage electricity. If you go, grew up in certain Orthodox Jewish communities as I did, or if you go to Israel today, you'll run into something called the Shabbat elevator. Rachel, remember this stuff. Shabbat elevator, meaning on the Sabbath, if you're in a hotel or high-rise building the, and you're in an elevator, don't get nervous. It's going to stop on every floor whether you like it or not. You think it's like the twilight zone. Good night. I didn't push that button. That's the idea. The rabbis have determined if you push the elevator button, you're engaging electricity. And that's, they declare, a form of work, which is not supposed to be done on the Sabbath. So to keep you from violating it, they rig it up, Shabbat elevator. I mean, it could be a 20-story building. You know, buckle up. you got a long ride. It is stopping on every floor. I remember I was there one time with Bill Cole in Israel, and he doesn't know. He's just a Gentile guy from Fort Worth. 
And I didn't tell him anything. Why not? I love to see him sweat. And so uh, we're in the elevator. Man, he's just pushing. He's pushing. He's pushing. And this Orthodox Jewish guy got on and looked at him and said, Shabbat. Shabbat. And Bill was, Bill was, Bill said, what did he say to me? He said, you're a Gentile guy from Fort Worth, Texas. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's really true. So you have all these rules and regulations and, and, uh, uh, that's kind of a, it's kind of a, an unfortunate thing because that's not been the intent of Sabbath rest at all. Well, so what's happening on this Sabbath day? The Lord is walking through the fields. Again, as I say, probably northern Israel, Galilee. And the text back to Luke 6, verse 1 says, And his disciples were picking the heads of uh, grain, rubbing them in their hands. That's how you get rid of the husk, you know, and eating the grain. But some of the Pharisees, those are the religious leaders of the day, they said, why do, why do you do what's not lawful? On the, who said it wasn't lawful? This, See, that's what they did. See, the Lord never said, remember, he gave the Sabbath to be a blessing, don't you see? This is one of the rules they came up with. Uh, you can eat, for sure, but you can't, you can't work to get your food on the Sabbath. I mean, when I grew up, my mother and grandmother, they'd do all the cooking on uh, Friday before sundown, before Sabbath. You eat it on Saturday. You can't turn on the stove. No microwaves in those days. Nothing like that. And so these guys walking through the fields. By the way, it was lawful what they're doing. The Old Testament has a provision. If you're hungry and you're going through someone else's field, you're not stealing. You can glean from the corners. Well, that's essentially what they're doing. But the rabbi said, apparently, that's a form of work to remove the husk or something from the grain. So they come out of the woodwork, and they're yelling and screaming. They say to Rabbi Jesus, rather unorthodox rabbi, what's up? Why do you? Why are you not keeping the Sabbath? See, the, see, the rabbis came up, as I said, uh, with all kinds of rules and regulations. For instance, they said you can't carry a load or a burden on the Sabbath. But then they had a lot of questions. What? How do you define what a burden is? So let me quote you directly from some of what they wrote. They said, a burden is food equal in weight to a dried fig. So I know you've been wondering about this, and you came to the right place. Now you know a burden, as the rabbis defined it, something that you cannot, that if you carry it will cause you to violate the Sabbath, is something the weight of a dried fig. Or milk enough for one swallow. One swallow. Two swallows, you violated the Sabbath. Honey enough to put upon a wound. Ink enough to write two letters of the alphabet. Not three. Did you hear me? Two. It's in the Bible somewhere, I'm sure. On and on and on. Look, if I get a little... uh, passionate about uh, practices that have no resemblance to the scripture. Um, I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feeling or to encourage any questionable behaviors at all or practices you're not comfortable with. I'm just telling you it's really something to have been set free from all this and to simply pursue the Lord Jesus. I lived under this. And so when I see some of you doing the same, it's not a an angry, hateful, contemptuous response. The Lord's given us new wine. Why do you want to put it in old wine skins? That's all I'm trying to get at. Anyway, uh, let me give you some other things that will cause you to be somewhat amused. The rabbis would spend hours debating whether a man could lift and carry a lamp from one place to another, whether a woman on the Sabbath could wear a necklace. See, she'd be carrying something. 
whether you could put on the Sabbath, whether you could put in your false teeth, whether a parent could lift up a child on the, his, own, his or her own child on the Sabbath. I'm not kidding you. They said you could not take a bath. You know how maybe this is what we got the habit on Saturday night is when you clean up for church on Sunday. But the rabbi said you can't take a bath on the Sabbath because the steam from the hot water might clean the floor. And this is a form of work, you see. They said eggs laid on the Sabbath could not be eaten because the hands were working. I am not making this up. They said if a flea bit you on the Sabbath, you could do nothing about it. You cannot hit it because to do so would be categorized as hunting. And hunting was forbidden on the Sabbath. As I tried to point out last week, do not make this a merely Jewish thing. It's a human thing. So, for instance, in the 17th century, in Scotland, there was a law on the books uh, that said you could not smile on the Sabbath. And there are cases on record where people were brought to a court of law with that charge, smiling on the Sabbath. Jonathan Edwards, great preacher, once determined not to say anything humorous on the Sabbath. He found it uh, unacceptable to laugh on the Sabbath. My point is, <clears throat> new wine in old wine skins. When that happens, both are minimized and destroyed. I gave examples last week of how some traditions creep into church and become indistinguishable from what God has said. I did not mean to offer encouragement for anyone to do anything that offends his or her conscience. Absolutely not. My only point is when those things are codified as the rabbis did it, and used as a standard by which you judge the piety, godliness of another, then you see we're prone to doing the same thing. So one church I know of wrote an article about how one of the signs of a church drifting into liberalism is when it replaces its wooden pulp pulpit with an acrylic one. Another church indicated that men who wear pants that do not have pockets in the back are encouraging homosexuality. Therefore, pocketless pants are prohibited. Another church said pants for women under any circumstances are prohibited. On and on. Now listen, I, there's no problem with any one of those things if that's an individual preference. I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest that we don't have our freedom to choose those things. I'm only suggesting when we elevate those things to a level of biblical authority, that is what's called legalism. And then we begin to forfeit the marvelous gospel of grace, which is meant to cause us from the inside out 
to be motivated towards holy living. You see, if it's legislated from the outside, that's what religion tries to do, but it can't do it. I hope I didn't give any permission for us to practice licentiousness in what I, any comments I made last week. I think I told you, you can make a surprise visit to our home anytime you want, and if I let you in, I probably wouldn't, but if I did, there's nothing in my refrigerator I would have to explain about. You'll never see me and my wife in certain recreational environments that are questionable, watching certain movies that have a certain rating in a uh, erotic uh, environment where movement is going on that is uh, um, uh, questionable. You, I, I'm not trying. My point is we ought to be holier than any religious group. My only question is, what is motivating you towards it? You don't want to be motivated by man-made tradition on the outside. You want to be motivated on the inside. That's new wine, God's spirit changing us from the inside. The only proper biblical motivation for right behavior is our response to the love of God. So it says in the New Testament, for the love of Christ... His love towards us is what constrains us. Not a rabbinical code. I'm sorry. Not Baptist tradition. Not the way you were raised or I was raised. I didn't say these things are wrong. I'm just saying that should not be the primary motive for what we do for the Lord. The primary motive ought to be, Oh God, look what you've done for me. Look what you're doing in me. I want to say thank you by living in a way that's pleasing to you. Can you see the motive is entirely... So we may arrive at the same place. I have certain high behavioral standards. I'm not sloppy when it comes to Christian conduct. But I get there maybe in a different way than some will. Some things don't require a commandment. Therefore, don't, don't make human standards look like a commandment. Some things should come from a grateful response to Almighty God, from a from a heart overflowing with gratitude. So it's not just what you do. If you're not properly motivated in doing what you do, that's a problem. So anyway, this is what's kind of going on here to such an extent that by the Lord's day, so between fourth commandment and Exodus to the Lord's day, what we're reading here in Luke, there were on record 1,521 things you could not do on the Sabbath. God gave something meant to be a blessing and benefit, and the religious people overwhelmed the day with 1,521 no-nos. So if you got up on the Sabbath, as again, the last class said, I would just stay in bed. (laughs) because <laughs> you're trying to figure out 1,000, oh, you're going through the list. So I'll tell you why this was so important to the rabbis. Some of the rabbis taught, and it's taught to this very day in Judaism by many, that Messiah will come, not return, because he has never come in Judaism, that you say. He has come, didn't he? To suffer and die, but they don't see that. So they say he will never come until... Jews everywhere observe Shabbat, the Sabbath, for one day. All Jews around the world, 
If we get it together and keep the Sabbath for one day, then Messiah comes. So can you see how important this is? Let me tell you something. Do you know when Messiah is going to come again? When the Father determines for him to come again. And not even the Son knows. The first time he came, it was in due season. The second time will be in due season. There's nothing you or I do (laughs) that's going to put pressure on him to return before it's time. So this idea of we'll get all the Jews together and observe the Sabbath and we'll obligate Messiah to come, that's a rather small Messiah if you can control him that way, right? Well, he is a small Messiah in Judaism. He's really a political savior. He's not a mighty God who suffered and died for sin and then rose up from death. Not in Judaism. You know him that way, so do I. He living in us is all the motivation we need to live in a way that's pleasing to him. I don't need codes of conduct. I don't want them. I don't want man-made religion. I don't want your tradition or mine that has no resemblance to the scripture as a means by which you judge my piety or I judge yours. I don't want to do that. Fruit of the Spirit is how we judge each other. Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, self-control. There is no law for these things. Galatians chapter 5. Charlie? That is very uh, true. Uh, we have something called the Mishnah and Gemara, which is a collection of commentary on the Bible, but also rabbinical directives for how to live life on every occasion. That is true. Well, anyway, uh, w- what was happening in this text in Luke? Go ahead, Billy. Well said. Uh, It's been added to. Of course, uh, rabbis of old have more authority than rabbis today. That's what the belief is in Judaism, that those rabbis who are closest to Moses have greatest authority. So rabbis today are not so much writing new stuff because they have less authority than the sages of old. I use this against, no, yeah, against... uh, my people, when I have conversation, uh, I say, is there a rabbi higher than Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, the greatest rabbi? No. And I say, well, then let me quote to you what he said. And I usually go to Leviticus 17.11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. And then I say, the highest rabbi calls for blood atonement. Where is it today? And then I usually say it's been provided by the blood of the lamb whose name is Yeshua. And then their reaction usually varies at that point. <laughs> anyway, what the disciples were doing here, you see, was a violation of man-made law about the Sabbath. And so they rebuked the Lord for it. And here's his answer, verse 3. He said, have you not even read what David did when he was hungry? He, 
those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priests alone, and he gave it to his companions. King Jesus is bringing up an episode about another king, King David. You can read it. First Samuel chapter 21. He's saying, you religious people uh, admire, respect, and uh, have high regard for King David. And he's essentially saying, uh, I'm simply doing what he did. He is saying the well-being of a person is of more import than your religious traditions. These people are hungry. They're eating. And then he says something that really got him upset. Verse 5. He was saying to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Whoa. Let me translate. He is saying the Son of Man is God. How is he laying claim to divinity? Who mandated the Sabbath but God? If he's claiming lordship over it, he's claiming to be God. That was their understanding. I know it's the case because it led to their action. Their action was his crucifixion. Some say nowhere in the Bible did Jesus claim to be divine. Those are people who don't know what they're talking about. Listen to me. This is a claim to divinity right here. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, now here's what's happening. One Sabbath took place in the fields, this one in the synagogue. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, possibly one in Capernaum. He was teaching. There was a man there whose right hand was withered. Luke, the physician, takes pains to specify which hand. Right hand, probably the one most used. This was a serious impairment of his lifestyle. There was a man with his right hand withered. And uh, the scribes and Pharisees, verse 7, were watching him closely. And by the way, if you are his, people watch you and me closely too, which is why we have to avoid even the appearance of evil, even the appearance of evil, because folks, this is a good thing that people are watching because we could be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. But if we violate the standards, you see, then we'll detract from the effectiveness of our representation of him. Anyway, they're watching. They didn't come to hear his teaching. They're not interested. They were watching to see if he healed on the Sabbath because healing on the Sabbath was an infraction of their rules on how to observe the Sabbath. Yes, ma'am. I cannot hear a word you're saying, but I bet it's good. Oh, the appearance of evil. That depends on you and the Lord. See, that's another good area of Christian liberty. And you just have to, you know, one day we'll do a class on, I have something I called a biblical decision-making grid. I located principles in the Bible by which you can submit yourself and come to answers like that. Here are some principles. Does it glorify God? Two, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. 
All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Does it take control of you? Three, the weaker brother principle. Would it cause another brother to stumble? Anyway, I have about seven principles. When you go through those, you can make your decision before God on those areas where the scriptures don't specifically address in the form of a command. By the way, that's what a mature Christian does. You know what an immature Christian does? An immature Christian joins a controlling church that legislates all those issues for you so you don't have to consult God yourself. All righty, so uh, they're here on the Sabbath. They're watching to see reason to accuse him, verse 8. But he knew what they were thinking. How did he know what they were thinking? So for those who claim Jesus never claimed to be God, he doesn't have to. He manifests the attributes of God, one of which is omniscience. He knows what they're thinking. And he said to the man, not to them, he said to the man with the withered hand, how about this come forward invitation? Get up and come forward. Good night. This guy must have been nervous. And he got up and came forward. And then Jesus said to them, he turns to them, the religious folk, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? And the implication of the context is that they had no response. Silence. So verse 10, after looking around at them all, he said to them, uh, he said, excuse me, to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. What an unusual commandment. The Lord told him to do the very thing he couldn't do. Remember, his right hand was withered. He couldn't stretch it out. The Lord told him to do it, don't you see? When the Lord requires something of us, he also provides the enablement to do it. You see, this is a miracle, right? The Lord was requiring him to do something he couldn't do, but which the Lord surely enabled him to do. So I ask you a question. Couldn't the Lord have waited a few hours till sundown? Sabbath is over. Couldn't the Lord have waited until the whole synagogue thing is over, taken this guy out in the parking lot, had a private little healing thing for him right there? What is the deal? But he didn't. Miss Mark, go ahead. Miss Marjorie, you're right. The miracles were that we might know he's God. But my question is, why didn't he wait to perform the miracle till the Sabbath was over? That's my question. I'll give you the answer. Tell me. Say it again. You're all right, kiddo. He deliberately was doing this to show them that their rules were not right. Listen, he put himself on a collision course with religious tradition on purpose. Why? Because he came to bring new wine. Not the old burdensome stuff that could never usher you into the presence of Almighty God. They just would pump you up so that you're arrogant and prideful. And you use these things as badge of honor by which you judge other people. He deliberately did this so as to show the difference between personal relationship with the righteous Redeemer and man-made human tradition. And by the way, These things are what led to his crucifixion, as you will see. Listen, he says to them, what's lawful, to do something good or to conspire evil? You know why he said that? That's exactly what they were doing. He healed a man. He did good to a man with a withered hand. And in their withered hearts and thinking, on this very Sabbath, 
they're conspiring his death. If I get hot and bothered, therefore, about religious tradition imposed upon people without a biblical basis, I think I'm in good company. So too did the Lord Jesus. He was not politically correct. If the sun sets you free, don't tell me if I use an acrylic pulpit, I'm gravitating towards liberalism. Don't tell me if I wear pants without pockets in the back, I'm gay. Come on. Come on. Don't tell me the only acceptable meeting day for the people of God is a particular day. Don't tell me that when it's not a day. Listen to me. Every day is a day of enjoying Sabbath rest. You get up in the morning and you say, Oh God, in spite of me, I am holy yours by your grace and therefore I am motivated to live a holy life I can rest from guilt from shame from the past from everything because of what you did oh God those three words you uttered is that means Sabbath rest to me it is finished the work is over. I can rest. Oh, God, I want to walk humbly with you today, enjoy you, and bring glory to your name. Head up, shoulders back. I want to work hard at entering into Sabbath rest, and you are the Lord of the Sabbath. It's not a day. It's not a bunch of stuff. It's an ongoing, vibrant relationship with the Lord of life. Okay, so there you have it. I toned it down quite a bit today, don't you think? Yeah, because like my high blood pressure went up like crazy last week, you know, and you can't do that. You got to try. No, I'm just kidding. I, 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 I'm just kidding. Yeah, today was Sabbath. <laughs> Absolutely. By the way, Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath. Don't be doing that. You're blurring on the lines. There's no such thing. That Sabbath is Saturday. Lord's Day is Sunday. Don't confuse the covenants, so to speak. Lord Jesus, even as we bow, we rejoice. Lordship over all things, human tradition, the authority to forgive sin, my sin, our sin, the power to transform our lives so as to make us more like you. How do you do this? Your residence taken up in our very lives. Wow. We being the very temple of your spirit, whose character is to be holy. How can holiness not be generated in us by you on the inside? Oh God, relationship is more important to you, isn't it, than man-made rules? ought to be for us as well. You shouldn't have to command me to do this, to do that. I should have a willing heart. I should be getting to know your heart. 
so I could determine how to live without a mandate. Thank you for freeing us from religion. Thank you for embracing us so that we could have a dynamic, ongoing, daily, forever relationship with you. It's new wine, isn't it, Lord? No place, no harmony with old wine skins. If the sun sets us free, and you have, we shall be free indeed, free to enjoy you and glorify you forever. This we choose to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessings to you folks. See you next Sabbath or whatever.